Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know you guys wanted me to release something, and I am. Um, I know I was supposed to do the MLB Top 10. That was what you were billed to get from me this week. But Beast is here. The Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. It's mouth of the South, John Schiavone. This is downtown sports. This is where sports come home. And I figured instead of yelling about the Yankees and the Mets again, talking about how, oh, we got to retool the farm again. Where are the kids at the farm again? The same things that we've all been talking about for, I'd say, about a good two, three weeks at this point. Here's where I draw the line. I draw the line in the sand right here. I am sick and tired of people talking about the farm system. And they've never seen a minor league game. I'm sick and tired of people talking about the farm system who basically read the same articles that you or I would read, Beast, to find out about what's going on in the minor league system. And these people consider themselves experts. But see... Just like we do with injuries, we we don't pretend to be doctors, and we also don't pretend to be minor league baseball experts. However, there is somebody that is, and he has so graciously offered his time to tell us about the Mets farm system. You know that farm system that everybody says is garbage and is trash? I don't necessarily believe that to be a 1,000% true, and... Our guest today, Mr. Mike McCann, is going to prove that I'm right. There's some talent in this Mets farm system. At least I believe so. I hope to God so. Because uh, there is, I'm starting to wonder if there is actually any talent at the major league level. We have a lot of things to discuss. Mr. Mike McCann, welcome to Downtown Sports. Great to be back. Uh, Best way to look at things is to say there is talent in the Mets minor league system. Unfortunately, there might be more talent than the other dugout. Mm. Um, some of the uh, highlights of, of this year have been watching some of the rival players coming in. Um, I had the chance to watch Ellie Dela Cruz yes. about 10 days before he was recalled, and it was so obvious he's, he's destined to start him. Now, as they've said with Anthony Volpe on the Yankees, pitchers and other teams will adjust to him, and he'll have to adjust to what the pitchers change. Mm -hmm. But, man, this kid just, he exudes talent and enthusiasm. He he was another of those, you could say, looked like a man among boys. And uh, I was hugely impressed. And if you've seen my website, there have been some pictures of him on a a number of occasions. MikeMcCann.blogspot.com I was about to say, please tell the people where that is now that you've mentioned that. Yes, Easy to find, mikemccann.blogspot.com, or you can Google it as Field of Photos, spelling photos, F-O-T-O-S. Hmm. And, okay. uh, Love it. This week, we're, um, uh, so far this week, we've uh, featured uh, uh, Francisco Alvarez on Monday. Mm. Nice photo narrative of his uh, progression from Binghamton to Syracuse, now to uh, City Field. And today, uh, I've got a little feature on the 1949 all-Star Game on this date in 49. And it was the first to have integrated rosters. And uh, it's it's a nice flashback to when 
baseball really became America's national pastime. So check that out. Check that out. But again, more to the matter of the moment um, coverage right now on Alvarez and um, a lot of the other uh, um, young players who are uh, just about knocking on the door of the majors. I'll give you another name. And unfortunately for Yankee fans, this kid is in the Red Sox system. Marcelo Mayer, young shortstop, big kid, about 6'4", 6'5", lots of power, and uh, just dominated when um, his Portland uh, Sea Dogs visited uh, Binghamton about a month, six weeks ago. And um, But enough about the other teams. We're, we're here to talk Mets and Yankee prospects, and let's have at it. Well, let's have at it, and let's start where, you know, Every diseased uh, issue always, like, you know, begins, and that's at the top. So the major league level for the New York Mets. Now, I understand everything that's going on in Yankee land, and I understand Brian Cashman It needs to have been booted out a long time ago. We'll get to that, but the Mets, I believe, this year, might be the worst team money could buy. The could literal be. worst team money could buy. It's that really teetering on the... We're, we're literally teetering on when James Dolan first uh, bought Madison Square Garden and put every aging star on the Rangers and said, yeah, let's go with that. Paid a whole bunch of money and lost. This is... We're, we're borderlining on that territory. There's always a good and a bad when you sign old aging veterans john it just happens i mean look does does justin verlander look even a shade of the ace pitcher that he once was as a a met right now no max scherzer came up small again in a game that you faced you had your rematch right there joe musgrove you had your rematch from the playoffs last year had a chance to redeem yourself finish on a high note met fans you had that five game winning streak right before the break and then you dropped two games to the padres and you're right back where you – it's like you're back where you started again and have to, again, get yourselves back up once more. So we're at trade deadline time, all-star oh. break over, and the only thing we hear about is we need to completely retool the Mets farm system. Mike, tell us the truth. What is the state of this farm system at this moment, because you watch at least two different levels of minor league baseball, constantly going to the games, your website, uh, blogspot.com or just search up field of field of photos. Yeah. We're, we're going to be constantly dropping that throughout the <laughs> entire episode. Um, Can you add a little graphic under, under my, uh, under my face here? That's the uh, the best way, but all kidding yeah, aside, there we go. They, they, we'll, Ronnie- we'll do that immediately. Ronnie Mauricio is in the context of how badly the current Mets are playing. He's ready. He's not a perfect player. He's not a polished player. Uh, he might remind you a lot of Glaber Torres because he's got lapses. Oh, uh, ADD, whatever you want to call it. ADHD. The kid can hit. He plays a decent shortstop. Uh, second base, he's still a work in progress. I have not seen him play left field where he has... Um, spent several games, but unfortunately none when <laughs> they knew I was coming. Um, but seriously, he can hit. This is a switch hitter with power and with high contact ability. And I would be shocked if the Mets 
don't bring them up unless they've promised them to another organization already in a trade. And that's, that's possible. I mean, look where we are. We're on the, the 12th of uh, July. We've got, uh, what, 19 days to go till the deadline. Yeah. You hope that Epler isn't going to sacrifice him and a couple of other kids with potential uh, just to, to get that, you know, missing piece. They, he thinks can bring the Mets back into the wild card picture. That would be awful. That yeah. would that would be, um, you know, the worst kind of organizational damage. Uh, but be Brian Cashman-esque. Brian Cashman-esque. Part of the it problem is the Mets lineup is underperformed. That's part of the problem. The, right. Well, Frank, if, the, if the Mets are ready to get rid of the Deadwood, if they're ready to say Daniel Vogelbach is not going to get us to October, then you say goodbye to Daniel Vogelbach. That's number. That's that should be the easiest decision. Mm-hmm. If they don't think Mark Canna can get them to October, then what are they waiting for? The man's a pending free agent. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Billy Epler can con Brian Cashman into taking Starling Marte off his hands. Don't think he can. Mm. Marte has regressed so much, and what the Mets didn't—they had to realize—but what the Mets overlooked was when they signed him. He was approaching age 33, and they gave him a four-year commitment. When you're above 32, you don't give anybody this side of a, of a super-duper star more than a two-year commitment, but they did. So if they can somehow stick another organization with Marte, and they can cut ties with Canna and Vogelbach, that'll be a step in the right direction, because then you're giving the younger players like Vientos, who can hit but can't field, yeah. I mean, I've seen enough Mark Vientos at third base. He makes Dave Kingman look like Brooks Robinson. I mean, just not – the talent isn't there. That skill is not there. But Vientos can hit. So what you want to do is maximize what Vientos does instead of putting him in position to fail, put him in position to succeed. He should be the regular right-handed hitting DH. Um, Mauricio, well, if, they're not con- if they're not convinced that Mauricio – is a is ready to play left field or second base since shortstop is filled for the next decade. Um, let's make him the other half of a DH platoon. But again, these are decisions that have to be made. They have to get away from the thought that these older, declining players are going to somehow magically find their past performances and turn it around. I mean, the Yankees have the same problem. They, they look at... Uh, Josh Donaldson, and they they see a player from four and five years ago, yeah. and that player is not going to walk through the you know the the clubhouse at Yankee Stadium, and I don't see very much proof. Either. Yeah, and, and I don't it. see the proof of uh, of Vogelbach or, or Canna or Marte, who you know may not have come back hundred percent from last year's surgeries, more than one surgery he had, uh, and again, there's your problem, especially when you see the younger talent like Vientos, uh, like Mauricio, appearing to be ready or at least appearing to be uh, knocking on the door. That's Epler's problem. It's also Buck's problem. I think Buck has the same problem we've seen with with other managers, uh, more so in the Bronx. I don't think Buck trusts young players. He's old school. He's, He's very- old school. You know, proven pro. There's, there's an expression you've heard out of, Cashman too many times over the year uh, describing veteran players on the decline, proven pro. 
Well, you don't get to be a proven pro if you're never given the chance as a rookie. And yeah. that seems to have, you know, problems um, committing to rookies, committing to to the kids that are showing you something, um, especially at Syracuse. Now, the, the pantry is is not brimming with talent. Uh, probably the next name you're going to hear a lot about is Mike Vassell, who um, was not a top uh, draft pick. I think he was a seventh or eighth rounder a few years ago, but uh, has been promoted this year from Binghamton to Syracuse and has been uh, impressive every time I've seen. The worst problem with um, Mike Vassell is the organization limits um, his pitch count and limits his innings. You're not going to raise a major league starter by pulling the kid after two, three, four innings every time out. And But yet when you see those two, three, and four innings, it's very clear this kid is the next starting pitcher to be promoted from the organization. It's just a matter of when they're going to let him develop a little um, durability. That's kind of uh, you just don't let these kids. You have to let these kids develop. You have to you have to let go. It's kind of like the key word. It's like when you want to pass a business on to your son, let him run your business. You have to trust that he can do it. Right. And it's not like you can just say to the kid, come on in and run the business 10 to noon. Monday and Thursday. You're not going to give them any experience that way. Um, no, you're not. And then, um, unfortunately, you know, metaphysically uh, and metaphorically, we've been stuck with a father-son relationship in New York considering general managers in this city um, because the second Billy Epper got here and actually got full control when Sandy Alderson left, you've seen the decline of the farm system. You're seeing the increase in... Uh, Long well, you're seeing the emptying deals, of the farm system. Contracts. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, decline means that players are drafted and placed there and don't develop. The The emptying of the farm system is the foolish trades that both teams made at the deadline a year ago. And in the Mets case, two years ago, when, when they gave away Pete Crow Armstrong for uh, um, two months of, uh, of hobby buyers. So that, that that's the emptying of the farm system. Um, and in both cases, they have players that are progressing. The question is, will they make that next step from AAA to the majors with an NY on their cap? That's what you have to worry about. You know, yeah. or, or, or are we about to see somebody else uh, get, get fleeced again by uh, uh, David Forrest and uh, Billy Bean out in Oakland? It amazes me, and I look at some of the other farm systems around the league right now. Look at Atlanta. Look at Baltimore. Look at Tampa Bay. Look at Houston. Oh, wow. Four of those teams all just happen to be in the uh, NLB top 10. Uh, Atlanta's one. You mentioned that, by mm -hmm. the way. And for the past yeah. number of years now, you're seeing when a couple pieces go down, these guys come out of the farm, and they're ready to take the team over for a little while, they can carry the team for a period of time. The Orioles right now have the top farm system in baseball right now. And another big name is soon coming. We've already seen a little bit of uh, the talent beginning to get sprinkled in on the Orioles. We just saw Colton Kowser get called up. We've mm -hmm. already seen Westberg get called up. We've already seen Adley Rushman called up. There's another kid waiting down there, and I'm, I'm sure some of us are going to remember the name. A young kid named Jackson Holiday, the mm -hmm. son of Matt Holiday in what's becoming another what we're seeing a great thing in baseball now is the is the sons of big leaguers are now finally beginning to blossom in the league now 
We just saw Vlad Guerrero Jr. win the home run derby. So now both Vladdy Sr. and Vladdy Jr. have won a home run derby each. What are the, the, To see these young kids now really beginning to make an impact right away, what is it that the Braves, the Astros, and, and et cetera, what do they do differently with the farm that other teams are not doing where they get this talent ready and they're ready to pr- produce at the big league? It may be. I think it's coaching. I think it's scouting. I think in some cases it's patience. Not all these kids were great out of the box, but they do, especially in Atlanta. Uh, And that's not the biggest money team. It's what is Atlanta, the 12th, 13th biggest city in the country. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're not huge in media revenue the way that the Yankees, Red Sox, Mets, Phillies, uh, Dodgers are. But uh, the Braves have done a great job of raising talent from within so they can let a Freeman walk. They can let a Swanson walk. And look where they are. The best team in baseball right now. The best record in the game. Um, you know, yeah. it comes from... And, and other organizations had done that in years past. Uh, the Dodgers were known for always having a good farm system. I mean, that's going back to Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, of course, there was no free agency except signing Negro League players in the 1940s. But it does seem that the Dodgers did a great job of signing young talent preparing young talent there's a word you need to yes. lean on and then deploying the young talent when they were ready to uh, uh, make their splash in the major leagues um the yankees did that at one time but that you know sometime we'll have to do a, a an historic show where you look at uh, the rise and fall of organizations and uh, look at why um, the yankees and mets had their peak years and their and if you will their valley years uh, and a lot of it has to do with the ability or inability to develop young talent. Is it still the cheapest and most cost-effective way to build a to build a team? You can't afford to build a team on free agents or even trading for veterans. It's it's never going to work. I understand Cohen walked in and and, and saw uh, a team that was devoid of talent, a team whose farm system was mismanaged, uh, a team where so little money was spent in the right places that. He had to make an immediate change. And he also knows that he's now at the point where he needs his minor league system to be sending talent to the majors. Maybe his problem is he doesn't have that chief baseball officer who can see it all through. Uh, When you go back to Steve's press conference, what was it, 10 days ago, two weeks ago? Yes. uh, What a slap in the face to Billy Epler it had to be for for Cohen to on a number of occasions talk about hiring this this chief baseball officer, this person who will obviously come into the organization ahead of uh, Billy Epler on the flowchart. What is that what is that saying to Billy Epler? Well, you can run a certain aspect of this team, but you're you're we need to have a, a, a wiser hand guiding yours. And right now they don't have it. They were looking at Stearns at one point, but like uh problem in the past was other teams didn't want to do business with Cohen. Yep. Well, Stearns may be available. I think his his year of consulting ends on uh, uh, November 1st, so maybe there'll be a dialogue there. Maybe David, David Stearns wants to, if you will, come home. He's a native New Yorker. On well, the other hand, you know, not everybody wants to uh, uh, jump into the fry pan. And, and there are, although give Steve Cohen credit, that press conference could have been, you know, George Steinbrenner 2.0, could have been ranting and raving and waving the hands and looking looking like a ball of fire. Mm. And Cohen came off rational and thoughtful. And yes, he's pissed off. 
And whether you're a billionaire or you're the guy sitting in the nosebleed seats, you would be too. Because after all, he's a fan. He wouldn't have bought this team if he didn't care about baseball and care about the Mets. So give Steve Cohen credit. He comported himself well. He didn't fly off the handle. But it became very clear that he feels other people, probably additional people as opposed to just substituting people, but other people are needed to make the organization run as well as the Braves or the Reds or the Dodgers or whichever organization, the Orioles, um, that are that are you know, providing the young talent that are going to benefit the team two ways, going to keep the budget in line and is going to provide talent that uh, will upgrade the on-the-field product. Well, at least Cohen isn't uh, – if you want to contrast the press conferences uh, – if Cohen was the epitome of taking responsibility, Hal Steinbrenner's press conference was the epitome of a fever dream. Um, I have no idea where he got off. And now, for the first time, Brian Cashman in 19 years has fired somebody midseason. Mm. And it's a hitting coach who's probably... I I think they keep that position around as like a relic or for, you know, maybe some young kids that come up from the minors into the MLB because there's no veteran that's being affected by a, any sort of hitting coach whatsoever. But um, there's some promising young Yankees. Finally, like he's in trouble. It you know, finally it seems and he's starting to act like a desperate GM. I like this. I want him gone. Well, <laughs> I would say desperate uh, is a good word. I think the problem is the Yankees are trying to rely on some younger talent. Certainly when you have Volpe, when you have Peraza a phone call away, when you have Everson Pereira and Jason Dominguez and maybe Spencer Jones a year or two away, you've got to be sure that they're being coached right, they're being prepared for the major leagues. The natural talent is there. The problem is, especially when you see it with Anthony Volpe, the kid's been coached long since opening day of this season. Working with with um, Lawson was was horrible. It, it was he was being misguided. Anthony Volpe's a talented player. Nobody's nobody's going to deny that this kid has a tremendous amount of potential. He's also five foot nine. He doesn't need to go up there swinging like it's Bugs Bunny versus the Gas House Geezers. Remember or Gas House Gorillas? Remember that cartoon? <laughs> Remember when we were going to use try to I know about Magilla Gorilla. I knew about Magilla. No, 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 there's a classic Bugs Bunny cartoon that was probably inspired by the St. Louis Cardinals of the 1930s. Wow. And the uh, he was a one-man team against the Gas House Gorillas, wow. and uh, which was inspired by some of the, the rough characters on that. The, the, the Pepper Martin, players like that in the 1930s Cardinals. But the point of it being, if whether you see a cartoon where, where the character is swinging the, the, the baseball bat like he's in a frenzy, or in real life, Volpe should be hitting the ball to all fields. Volpe should be uh, a line drive, high contact hitter, spring the ball around. I mean, physically, he's an awful lot closer to Phil Rizzuto than he is to uh, Aaron Judge. And, and to see him trying to crush every pitch like he is Aaron Judge, is, is just wrong. Who's telling him to do that? That's not how he worked his way up through the minors. That's not how he got to the Bronx. So if he's going to stay in the Bronx, he's going to need somebody else to be in his ear 
somebody with a little more gravitas, if you will, well, than did. Austin Wells is. Yeah, Austin. Yeah, Wells, oh, that's great. Go. Then let's hire Austin Wells as the batting coach. Thank Clearly, you. he knows how to sit down with. Right, great. Let's sit down with Austin Wells and his uh, his iPad or his uh, well, listen, his, his video recorder and uh, and and fix. That's that. Obviously, he had a friend he he confided in, and they they did find something. But I mean, Watson is not a good hitting coach. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I don't think has no experience in the major leagues. He had no major league experience. Right. And but you had a kid who at least went back, as as our friend Warner Wolf would say, he went back to the videotape and he saw something that was wrong. And more importantly, he saw something that was good a year ago. And he realized if I hit more like this and I lose some of these um, mistakes in my stance, I will get better. And he did, and we saw the results. Although, again, over the weekend, we saw more of that over-swinging and, and over-aggressiveness that's uh, marked too much of uh, Volpe's uh, rookie year. Right, so the we, Yankee Stadium that will do that to hitters. It just yeah, like, and, and, is their eyes thinking they can hit home run all the time. If he was a lefty hitter, maybe you could put up with a little more of it. But he's a right-handed hitter. Let's, let's move the ball. Aaron Judge, for much of his career – hit as well to right as to left field. Pull the ball, hit the ball to the opposite field. Volpe looks like he's just teeing off and, and aiming at, uh, at the bleachers and left. And uh, they've got to fix that. And hopefully Sean Casey, who was that kind of a hitter during his career, a good 300 hitter, not a home run slugger, but a, but a good overall 300 hitter, maybe he can put the right thoughts back into, into Volpe's head and uh, Cabrera, another kid who, who looked like he was on the verge of uh, being something special a year ago and, and went way off the rails. And maybe the worst thing that happened to Cabrera was, besides his terrible performance so far this year, was every time the Yankees wanted to send him down, give him a, a two-week respite at Scranton, somebody else got hurt, and he never got the chance to go and work on his stroke in, um, uh, in the minors. Well, we've brought up a whole bunch of teams that we've been talking about, good farm systems and all and the like. And uh, I'm going to tie this back into Billy Epler in a second, in a second, because I believe Epler made a gigantic mistake uh, over the past two years, getting first Scherzer and then Verlander. But especially considering this new pitch clock, I want you to listen to what we got as an MLB top 10 for the first half of the year. I don't think anybody would have ever thought that this would be would be an MLB top 10. At 10, it's the Reds. Nine, Dodgers. Eight, Blue Jays. Seven, Marlins. Six, Orioles. Five, Astros. Four, Arizona Diamondbacks. Number three position is the Texas Rangers. Number two, Tampa. Number one, Atlanta. The, I mean, other than one and two, which pretty you could have really like thrown both of those teams into that conversation. Everything from three to 10 is completely topsy turvy. And I think Epler made in terms of the Mets, one gigantic mistake. He signed pitchers that were not used to the new pitch clock rule. To me, I think signing old veteran pitchers who have been great in the postseason would in any other year have been a great idea but not when you're literally putting in a rule that I'd say maybe about 60 to 70% of the players that are playing in major league baseball right now have not seen. Um, maybe that money or time could have been spent 
better elsewhere, getting an arm that actually grew up in a minor league system that had this pitch clock that might be used to it. I don't know why Epler didn't think of that, but if you look at these teams, especially since the pitch clock has been put in, it's not about change of uh, pace of play or it really hasn't made that much of a difference. I think it's like, what, 20 minutes or 30 minutes a game with the pitch clock. The difference that it's made is look at all of these teams with good farm systems that are just all well, their pitchers starting are, to win. They're used to it. However, these guys all had seven weeks of spring training to get used to it. This is not as if they made a sudden change in the rules on March 26th and said, tomorrow the season opens and you're going to have a pitch clock. Everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew it once they reported to Port St. Lucie or to uh, Tampa. So they had plenty of time to get themselves ready for the season with this in mind. And the fact that uh, Scherzer has struggled and Verlander has struggled, of course, Verlander lost time with the injury as well. Um, to me, that says the, the problems are not so much pitch clock related, but, uh, but they're related to uh, the age and to, to wear and tear on the body. Especially Scherzer throws so hard. And he wears down in a way he didn't years ago. You know, you'll get through the lineup twice. But his problem with the lineup the third time is uh, uh, emblematic of uh, dozens of pitchers, uh, none of whom make his kind of money. You know, if you want a guy to get uh, uh, 15, 17 outs, you're not spending $43 million a year. On the other hand, Billy Epler and... Steve Cohen have to be grateful. They could have signed DeGrom. Dead they, could have signed, they could have brought wow. DeGrom back and look what he's given you or not. Uh, so, I don't I don't know what would have been worse. I really don't know what would have been worse. Uh, Texas would having have DeGrom and then de- or dealing with this. Texas would have been even stronger if DeGrom was here. Right now, they're barely two games ahead of Houston. They should be blowing, them, they should be blowing that West away. Yep, but... Uh, you know, Jacob DeGrom is like uh, your grandma's fine china. You're not going to put your uh, put your iced tea on that and, uh, uh, you know, be uh, uh, partying at the, in the backyard with uh, the, the fine china. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what uh, plexiglass is for. That's what acrylics are for. And uh, uh, but uh, if the analogy doesn't doesn't work, just some pitchers aren't built for the for the long haul. And that that's the Grom's issue. So be grateful the Mets weren't stuck with two, three, four years of uh, guarantees to him. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, Scherzer, uh, I, I'm not blaming the clock as much as I'm blaming just the age and the uh, the wear and tear on that on that right arm. And Verlander, yes, he had a great year a year ago, but uh, this year, so inconsistent. It's not even a matter of wearing down. Some days he has it and some days doesn't. Going back to our uh, top 10 for a brief moment here in and a majority of the teams that we mentioned are in the AL and NL East. Are there any buyers and sellers here at this point as we're heading to the trade deadline? Look are the at- Mets and the Yankees, should they be buyers or should they be sellers at this point? I mean, you a lot of uh, both fan bases say both should be sellers. You have Met fans counting the calendar saying, oh, maybe we if we win this series, we should be able to sweep these guys and then if we just take two out of three here and this money there and we get the right guy in an August 1st and, you know, we'll take off and we'll go to the World Series. You got a, you got a, you got a lot of Yankee fans thinking the same way. 
What do you think each team should do, and what do you think each of the New York teams are going to do? Well, I can see them tweaking for sure. Players coming, players going. I think the, uh, if you will, the Amazon Prime of uh, of uh, big league franchises is probably Washington, where they've got a lot of players on one year contracts that they can easily move for prospects that'll uh, benefit them when they're ready to win two, three, four years down the road. Uh, Jammer Congolario, wouldn't he look better at third base for the Yankees than either LeMahieu or Donaldson? And uh, a guy in a one-year contract is not going to get you uh, a tremendous return, especially somebody who, as good as he is, he would never get the qualifying offer from uh, from Washington. So you can probably get him for a couple of mid-range prospects. Heard Cody Bellinger. That would be a little bit too. I've heard Cody Bellinger is going to cost a lot more. Mm-hmm. The Cubs, first of all, the Cubs are paying him a lot more, and the Cubs may not be convinced that he's not part of their future. Don't use a double negative. Um, you know, Bellinger has talent that works now at Wrigley, can work at Wrigley for a couple of three years. Plus, defensively, he's a good player. So that price tag's going to be high. If you're Cashman, do you give Jason Dominguez to bring in two months of uh, of Bellinger? No, <laughs> no. Besides, your payroll is already so bloated, you need to leave room for Dominguez to get there in a year. Uh, I think the mistake the Yankees have made is, is souring way too early on Floreal. Uh, even the, the local papers are, are covering his uh, success. And when you see uh, the writers up here talking about Floreal hitting 300, over 20 homers, over 20 steals, uh, this is a kid that, even if Cashman has a personal issue with him, deserves one more or one legit opportunity in the Bronx uh, before you, you package him and send him off elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't see this great future for Willie Calhoun. I don't see this great future for Billy McKinney. Again, these guys would have made it elsewhere years mm-hmm. ago if they really were that that talented. And Jake Bauer is another one. You Maybe. don't find, unless your name is Jose Bautista, you don't find yourself at 28, 29, and suddenly become the man. L'Oreal is 20, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's the guy you trot out, and, and not just for a game or two. That's a guy you commit to for 10 days and say, hell or high water, we're going to see once and for all, is this there? Then if he hits you know, a buck 20 and he strikes on 40% of the time, you say, okay, now we move on. Mm-hmm. But You've got to give it a, a, a fair trial. Got to give that young man. An well, I mean, that shot. fits right in with the rest of the Yankee lineup. So why would 120 a whole bunch of strikeouts and no shuffled. RBIs? You know, <laughs> How about Boone it, stops shuffling right the lineup a hundred times? How about Boone stops changing up the lineup every day? Oh, I put Volpe to lead off. Oh, I'm going to put Volpe at nine. I'm going to put uh, Judge at number two. I'm going to put Rizzo to lead off. Well, that, that's frustrating also. But, of course, Casey uh, Stengel did a good job on on shuffling lineups like they were a deck of playing cards, and nobody's going to criticize the uh, success he had, albeit 60, 70 years ago. That was, yeah, exactly. Different era in baseball, um, different game in the sense of of the the, uh, launch angle and uh, massive pitching stamps. I mean, Casey Stengel, all the great managers of the 50s. uh, You know what's funny? Had had nine, ten-man pitching stamps. Nobody had 12, 13 pitchers. Nobody. The, The... Closer was not even a position. You brought in the best of your relievers if your starting pitcher ran out of gas for the lead. Right. But diff- different game in that sense. But let, let's backtrack a little bit to uh, 
Well, let's back it. You know, shuffling track. the light, the the the, the uh, or front track to the, uh, you know, shuffling the lineup. Uh, well, a young player like Volpe should know. I'm hitting seventh every day. I'm hitting ninth every day. I don't think he's ready to be the leadoff batter because he stopped walking. And unless you're going to get on base at least 30, 33% of the time, you can't be the leadoff batter. Just can't be. Uh, you know what's funny, though? Now, uh, when I say let's go, let's back and front track at the same time, let's talk about Buck Showalter because uh, this doesn't get a whole lot of attention, and it really didn't get as much of attention as I thought it deserved when Buck Showalter literally came out of his lips and said these exact words, I don't make the lineups. Epler does. <laughs> and and this is Buck Showalter. We were sold on Buck Showalter because we were told that he was not going to be bowing to an analytics book. Nobody was going to be writing his lineup cards out for him. That was the entire shtick that the Mets fan was sold about Buck Showalter. And then he comes out and says that. Well, give him credit for honesty. Yeah, give true. him credit for it. You know, in some ways, people wonder who's making the lineup out. And again, there is a bigger analytics department than uh, the Mets had back in the Wilpon days, back in the uh, the Terry Collins days. But I think that you have to respect the judgment of somebody with Buck's experience. I mean, he has been a successful manager. He has been a good judge of talent. Maybe Buck would have been better suited to be the GM than the uh, than the field manager. I don't know. Maybe you want him to be the guy who's making the final call on. Again, where players are stacked in the lineup and who's playing here and who's playing in Syracuse. Maybe yeah, that's the, the difference. needs to report to uh, Buck Showalter on player personnel decisions. I think it's a good, that would be great just to see that little reversal of roles there. First well, thing, you, you uh, also, first thing you Showalter would at, do is just fire Epler, though. <laughs> right. Well, you got to look at it this way. Look at the respect Buck Showalter had from the Yankees and from MLB Network. He was in a, before joining the Mets, he was a pretty visible um, analyst on, on TV. And I think when you are given those kind of opportunities in the broadcast field, that means your opinion is, is well-respected. So it's respected, but it's not respected by Billy Epler, Cashman's former assistant who did squat all the years he was GM of the Angels. You know, you're not bringing in George Weiss or or uh, Gene Michael here. You're no, bringing, you're bringing in, in somebody. Brian Cashman. You're, you're bringing, bringing Brian Cashman's little buddy. Yeah, no, this is protege. My cat. <laughs> basically, the, the, the that that's the uh, cancer that has spread through the body and now has appeared somewhere else. Look at Brody um, Van Wagen and <laughs> look how that worked out. That's better than this. I would have preferred Brody to this crap. You would have um, preferred Brody. Oh my god! Yes, I would have because Billy Epler is. It, it, it's like the leg. It, it, like you have. Oh, they, they come under the Belichick tree or the uh, Bill Parcells tree. The Brian Cashman tree is rotted. It's disgusting. It, it, it's like one of those trees that drops those horrible berries everywhere that stink. That's what Billy Epler is. He's a branch of that disease tree where he gets basically the experience of sitting next to Brian Cashman doing nothing for a guy who, you know, 
got a ready-made team that won him four World Series, and all he ever did was play patchwork repairman for 19 years. So, yeah, that's what you get. You know, if he's part of the Brian Cashman lineage, you're going to get know nothing, do nothing. Well, not even the Brian Cashman lineage. There there are those who've been around Cashman that that might have been a better choice. I think part of the problem that the Mets had initially when, when Steve Cohen took over is that there was this chief baseball officer, although he didn't have the title, Sandy Alderson, somebody I'm whose work I'm not enamored with, and whoever was to come in as the general manager when Cohen took over knew that he was going to be the GM under Sandy Alderson. And if you remember, Sandy had uh, some advisors. His son was a key advisor, son who had no baseball uh, experience or no baseball accomplishments, whatever. And then Sandy, who's had some health issues, and you got to sympathize with that, finally stepped aside. And so Epler was on his own. But again, um, Billy Epler, without Sandy Alderson or David Stearns or anybody else you might want to bring in as chief baseball officer, uh, he's uh, not accomplished what I think Steve Cohen wanted or what Steve Cohen hoped for. But again, he may have been the only man to take the job. Uh, We all read back, uh, you know, 18 months, two years ago, that the Mets had a lot of trouble finding that guy to work at the time under Sandy. Mm. Am I, am I reminding you of uh, some things we read, some things we saw? Mm. So I think the problem with Epler was he was brought in and his job widened his, uh, his responsibilities increased. And so all of a sudden, uh, instead of working with a, uh, an old experienced hand, um, he was allowed to run amok. Uh, you're, you're seeing Billy Epler's, um, decision-making process uh, in this very flawed team with, uh, you know, an awful lot of under underachieving players, older and underachieving players. So you got two desperate GMs at this point who honestly are, you know, their jobs are on the line based upon this trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Mets are selling? Do you think the Yankees are selling? Do you think the Mets are actually silly enough to try to buy same thing with the Yankees, because like you said, you look at that top 10, all it is is AL and NL East teams. Well, so there are, there are sellers. What should they like do and what will they do? Both teams um, should be looking uh, for, for possible talent coming out of, out of Washington. As they say, if I'm the Yankees, mm-hmm. if you can get Candelario at an affordable price, a price that does not include uh, either Dominguez or uh, Spencer Jones, He'll consider it. Yeah. Uh, Everson Pereira, who's been in the organization for years and is uh, hitting over 300, he's just bumped from uh, Somerset up to uh, Scranton. Uh, he's having a hot year. I think he's um, probably exceeding his potential at this point. Maybe that's the kind of player you can uh, turn around and chip off to Washington for a, a guy who'll fix third base. And then you just DFA um, Donaldson, admit him to be a mistake, and move on. Because again, you you cannot sustain uh, a Yankee batting order with uh, a guy hitting 150, even if 90 percent of his hits are home runs. Yeah, uh, you know, right now Josh Donaldson makes it out 85 percent of the time. And Bo- so he that's has confidence in him. Oh, he's a great hitter. He's gonna find his swing. He's 38 years old. How's he gonna find his swing at 38? 
He's not what oh, he used to be anymore. He's, 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 he's toast. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, you can, it's one thing to be a cheerleader. I, I, yeah. I thought a couple wrong. of times of looking at Aaron Boone, one of the things that's disappointed me is he reminds me of a coach for an eighth grade, uh, uh, Baseball team and you know youth leagues. You know, you know it's great. It's great. We it's took great Timmy to get third, and uh, Timmy gave it his absolute best. You know, he went out there. He looked good with his baseball cap. You know, the way he wore the glove, it looked real professional out there. Right, uh, right, Timmy right, tries right. his best mm-hmm. every single night. Gives us and, one thousand and ten percent, and that's wonderful. If that's your son, and you you want to to grow from the experience of playing uh, youth league baseball, that's wonderful. And you probably want Aaron Boone to be your kid's coach. But that doesn't mean you want him to be the manager of the New York Yankees because that same approach that's so positive and building confidence in a young kid, especially, listen, 99.9% of kids in Little League are not destined for pro sports. You know, maybe they'll they'll gain some uh, character from uh, participating in youth sports, but that's not going to carry them the rest of their lives. You know, you can go up to... Um, Eastchester, the town where I grew up, and you can see the the plaque for Harrison Bader at the uh, at the Little League field on Garth Road. That's wonderful. But everybody else who played with Harrison Bader is not in the major leagues. Probably never even sniffed a chance at college ball. So just look at it. Look at it that way. Uh, and I got one way for people to look at things. I just like because I I've been saying this for a couple of weeks on the podcast. I want to get your uh, thought on it. Doesn't it feel like, like, take a look at the Mets of the Yankees of the uh, 2000s, right? Doesn't it feel like Yankee fans have Met fan problems and Met fans have Yankee fan problems now in 2023? It's like the roles have reversed. Everything has switched. (laughs) Hadn't thought of that. Hadn't thought of that. I think both both fan bases are uh, angry and frustrated and over eager to have an instant fix. Uh, certainly if um, what we heard on the news this morning out of uh, Brett Boone, that maybe, maybe Judge is closer to returning than August 1st, that's going to help. You put Aaron Judge even in the middle of that lousy lineup, and all of a sudden um, there's going to be substantial yeah. improvement. But... Um, you know, the quick fix isn't going to be there because, unfortunately, when the uh, Yankees and Mets look at the farm system, yeah, they, there's Mauricio who might have an impact on the Mets, but they need more than one bat. The yeah. Yankees don't have anybody they can really bring up and, 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 and plug in to that lineup. It's For the Yankees, It's it's got to be a deadline deal. And this second half is not going to look any easier. The Yanks are just barely on the outside looking into the wild card. Houston has the second spot right now. Uh, just taking a look at briefly at the second half schedule for the Mets and Yanks. The the Yankees will play the Rockies to start the second half. They actually have a week schedule for the second half of the year, going to Colorado, playing the Angels, Royals at home, then the Subway Series with the Mets, and then the Orioles to wrap up the month of July. The Mets have the Dodgers to start things off for the second half. Both the Sox teams, White Sox and Red Sox, the Yanks, and then the Nationals. This is all before the trade deadline. Well, Where- luckily the White Sox are weak and the Nationals are weak, and that's going to yeah. That's going to give them a chance to uh, put some W's there. So, that uh, you know, so they let's say the let's say the Yanks and Mets put those W's up. Those those final couple weeks in July before the break. Mm-hmm. Where do they go from there? Do you think if the Yanks can somehow get themselves into that wild card mix again, maybe get into the wild card, are they getting somebody, or is it time to just? Well, the Yankees know that they have 
injuries to overcome if they get Judge back. If, if Rodon can can if Rodon, the the most brittle pitcher um, in baseball, if he can give them say ten good starts from now to the end of the season, yeah. that will help. Maybe Nestor Cortez can give them uh, eight good starts because he's not even eligible to come back. I don't until think until, until first week of August. So you have less, there are fewer opportunities to put him on the mound. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe they can figure out what is wrong with um, Severino. No, uh, Severino. I've written off. Uh, Severino. Uh, he's apparently what's wrong a friend with of mine he's who coached up a roster spot. Well, he's taking up a roster spot. That that that's what's wrong with him right now. And for for fifteen million dollars, yeah. um, Severino's pitched himself out of big money. But let's get back to uh, yeah. um, you know some of the other guys. Herman is the picture of inconsistency. He goes out there, and you can see right away. You you see in the first two or three innings whether he's got it for that night or he doesn't. But with the exception of of, of you know maybe Philip Umber and, and and Darn Larson, most pitchers who throw a perfect game are pretty darn good pitchers. Boone had the nerve and, to pull him when he threw seventy four pitches in a game against the Cubs. You would have won. Yeah, exactly. I want to end on that, a high note. That's how I right, want to. That, that's how I end my season. On a oh, that was note. the quote. Oh my God, that was a, that was the worst Aaron Boone quote I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I took out Domingo Herman after he gave up the walk because I wanted him to end the first half of the season on a high note and feeling confident. He just Again, threw a perfect game. Not only that's Aaron Boone, the the eight year olds coach. That's what he says in in the youth league. I wanted I wanted Junior to to finish before um, summer vacation uh, on a pleasant note. Let him leave as as your family goes off to the to the shore for the summer. Let him leave with a positive. That's wonderful, but but this is this is professional sports, and you know it just have to win games. You shake your shake There's your head. So much money involved did, did, to be this delusional, right? Did did Herman take home a participation trophy? Did he did he get a little ribbon to to put on his? Uh, Put on his shirt. That no, he no, 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 no. Show his wife. No, it's not the. It's he didn't even get the NBA Cup, Mike. He didn't even get the new NBA Cup. <laughs> oh, I got a rant this week coming out about that. So stay tuned for that little episode. But yeah, again, these are not children. These just... are these are professional athletes. These are the best in the business. And you got to How do you? How do you get that chance to to throw a complete game? How did Herman? Um, I mean, was Boone sleeping on the bench? I mean, how did he get lucky enough that that Boone didn't start nagging him during the perfect game? Well, Probably obviously, because, nobody, uh, nobody ever got on base. But uh, when when you think about it, uh, you know that that's that's the Yankee problem in a nutshell. But other organizations will do the same thing. They'll pull a pitcher too early. Dust, Dusty's not one of those people. Dusty will let you. He'll let you go out there. Yeah. Well, and Dusty's let you do your job. Old school. Yes. Dusty Baker grew up at the, you know, again, at the at the feet of, of managers and baseball executives who never saw a computer, didn't care about a computer. They they they're all believers in the eye test. Thank that's you. the way that's the way sports used to be. Thank you. And you know, and again, I don't I, I use obviously a phone with you know computer abilities to to see the stats of the players I'm scouting up at the uh, Binghamton and Syracuse. But I, I go by the eye test. I see Mike Vassell, coming back to him again. This is a talented, very, very talented pitcher. This weekend, uh, I'm looking forward to being at at least two of the games 
in Binghamton when Somerset comes to visit. I'll get a chance to see again Jason Dominguez, and we'll see what is right and what is wrong about this young man. Uh, I'm thinking uh, maybe he needs a uh, promotion. Despite hitting about 200, I think he needs a promotion because he's not getting anything to hit. How can somebody be hitting 200 with an on-base percentage in the 330s? What's going on? They're walking him all the time. Maybe he needs a a better caliber of pitcher that won't be intimidated by a strong, uh, impressive young man and uh, let him pitch against guys who are one notch from the majors as maybe he should be. And then we'll get a better idea of whether Dominguez is a a strikeout machine, whether he's an A prospect or whether he's somewhere in the middle, which he may well be. But it's very hard to judge with with the the lack of opportunity he's getting not his fault but the lack of of, of opportunities to hit at the double a level so I'm gonna wrap this up on this last little note um if the Mets end up selling I mean let's say they end up uh being able to trade a Vogel back maybe they're able to get Scherzer out of town because, you know, we're actually hearing murmurings of Scherzer wants to leave to go to a contender. I've heard that rumor being floated around. Um, Let's say we were to get rid of any of these guys and Billy Epler does the right thing and gets rid of uh, older, useless contracts and useless players that are not going to help us but could help another team. If you're Epler, where are you adding to this farm system? Which part of it needs the most help? Where, like, what positions should the Mets really be looking at trying to fill in the farm? Pitching. There just isn't a lot of pitching talent uh, beyond Mike Vassell. There's a lot of 4A guys. There's a lot of Joey Lucchese level guys. You see there are people who bounce through other other systems that are, you know, getting a chance. Uh, that's where the, the Mets haven't drafted well and that's where they have to uh, you know and it, it, no matter who was drafted a few days ago these guys are a year two three from from even getting close the Mets need to trade for um, pitching prospects maybe Texas which lost to Grom and and sees themselves in, in a situation where they've got to fight to stay ahead of the Astros uh, maybe what they need in their mind is a uh, a solid starter in Scherzer and maybe Max giving them six innings there with a better bullpen in Texas. Uh, maybe that can put them over the top and then Epler can bring back a couple of good prospects. That's where you're hoping um, the Mets can go. No, it's not going to help them get to October, 2023, but it might help them get to October 25 to 2026. And at this point with the, the disappointing season, and certainly uh, Steve Cohen's interest in bringing in a new top executive. Uh, maybe it's better to plan for the future than to try to salvage an, uh, an unfixable present. Looking at this, and we'll finish it with this, the the MLB draft just took place this past week during the break. And definitely some very uh, promising young names came up through this one. And I wanted to get your thoughts on at least from what you have seen with these draft picks and, and come, some of these kids are coming out of a Vanderbilt, et cetera, mm-hmm. from, from NCAA. What do you think of particularly the first few picks? Paul Skeens, who's going to go number one to the Pirates, Dylan Cruz to the Nationals, and uh, the Yankees also drafted a uh, 
George Lombard Jr., who's another son of a big leaguer. We're seeing so many sons of big leaguers and et cetera now really making their way in this game. Eric Caro's son got drafted as well this year. So we're going to see him in the majors at some point soon. Jackson Holiday's coming up. Right. I'll give you a quick answer on that. If you grow up in a baseball family, baseball is still important. Yeah. If you don't grow up in a family where dad or uncle or granddad had that, that important baseball connection, the odds are that if you're a talented athlete and you inherited some of the talent of your of your parent or grandparent or, or uncle, um, you're not as likely to play baseball. So if Jackson Holiday is in that family, yeah, he's going to be a baseball player. But if if you don't have the baseball connection, then that young man is very likely to look at football or basketball or or soccer or some other sport that um, you know is is hotter these days. We had a kid you know, that gave up playing cricket that's going to put me in the majors soon. Arjun Namala, who got drafted <laughs> by the Blue Jays. So we're seeing different. We're not. It's not only just yeah. we're seeing different people from different yeah. countries. No, that, that that that's great to see, especially as you say where. If you will, we we got a convert. We 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 stole one away from uh, cricket, or or you steal away the uh, uh, the son of a an NFL player or an NBA player. That's great and stuff. And this is why I'm because, smiling ear to ear right now because you stole an international cricket star, and you've now gotten him to the major leagues. How did we do this? Uh, how did Major League Baseball pull this off? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'll answer that question for you. It's called the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. You know that thing that everybody says is completely unimportant and the Yankees don't want to send their players because they're going to get injured. You know, Aaron Judge didn't go to the World Baseball Classic to make sure that he didn't get a long-term injury this year. <laughs> See how all that one worked out. Um, yeah. Met fans all complaining about Edwin Diaz even going and representing Puerto Rico, but you know, you're not going to get these international players coming from other sports if you don't, you know, broadcast yourself around the world. I mean, we've had well, a- they're getting, they, they, WBC is a good way to, to recruit talent. Uh, and, and listen, there are countries that are never going to be hotbeds of baseball. We've got a sport that's popular in the U.S., in Central America, in Japan, in Taiwan and in the Caribbean. Mm hmm. And maybe the Caribbean thing can then carry over to kids growing up in uh, in uh, Holland, because many of the uh, Caribbean islands uh, like Curacao, which have become a good hotbed for uh, major league talent, um, you know, they are part of the nation that's that's based in Europe. It's it's, it's Holland yep. in the Netherlands, right? Yep. Uh, so you have that advantage. Uh, but still, it's going to be a while until you see a native of Italy. A native of England, native of, uh, uh, I know we have Max Kepler. We have a Ugandan that's about to come into baseball at some point, Mr. Kasum, Dennis Kasumba. He's with the first player of Uganda to play in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mate, you're going to find a few in that, that, you know, maybe the NFL does the best job and the, the NBA also of, of international talent. Uh, again, it's certainly easier when it comes to basketball. You know, five kids aside playing on, uh, on a cement, on a cement court with the, you know, two hoops at each end of the uh, court. That that's an easier sport to translate to any corner of the world. But with uh, with baseball, it does help that you're having these second and third generation uh, uh, talents coming up because they grew up in a family where they knew baseball was important. Uh, the kid down the street, without that connection, he may think, "Oh, football's number one, or basketball's number one." But uh, if you have the the family 
tradition, if you have the family connection already, it's going to be easier to, to keep these kids in the game and to uh, bring them up so you're seeing their names, you know, in this year's and next year's uh, uh, amateur draft. It's really an incredible thing with the game of baseball, just how it continues to evolve. Next year, baseball will return to Alabama for the first time in years. It's it's a great moment for that. I mean, just to kind of go back in time. Well, anyway, the second half of the season is right around the corner. Fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. We're in for a very <laughs> exciting second half going into the postseason. Mike McCann, thank you so much for taking some time with us. Great, My pleasure. And we look to have you on again. Well, I'll be back uh, at the end of the season. We'll talk more about the uh, about the kids. You know what I'm, I'm sorry about? Is that because they don't go to 40-man major league rosters in September, you won't see the influx of, of talent. Years and years ago, you'd see the best of the of the AAA talent get their chance. Now, they go up by two players to 28 in uh, September. So maybe you'll get a chance to uh, uh, see the best of uh, of each organization's uh, talent base, but you won't see the uh, the the big infusion. But even so. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm going to see uh, Somerset this weekend playing at Binghamton and take notes and take photos. And uh, uh, you'll see some of the uh, you'll see some of the photos on my website next week. But more importantly, uh, you'll get my comments uh, when I return to your show. That next big one could be right there in front of right in front of us. We may not Cross even know f- it. Cross our Mr. fingers. Yep. Mr. Mike McCann, our baseball agricultural expert. Um, I think it's going to be the title. This is the agricultural expert are uh, basically he's agreed to tell us everything about what's going on in the Mets farm system and what's going on in farm systems around baseball. So, Mike, I'm glad to have you back. Look forward to speaking to you at the end of the season to uh, see the uh, state of the crops and if we're going to have a, a nice fruitful harvest going into <laughs> next fall. Exactly. Thank you, guys. Thank a real you, pleasure. Thank you. You can listen to Downtown Sports on 23 different platforms. We're on Spotify, Spotify for Podcasters, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Verbal, Castro.fm, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Audible, Podvine, Podacy, Odyssey, iHeartRadio, and Podchaser. Rants, episodes, digital market battle specials every week. We are Downtown Sports, and we are where sports come home. And I want to thank Chris and Tony for the... Uh... MLB Top 10. I will be releasing something probably right around the time you hear this episode or maybe a day or two after where the NBA messed up. If you thought that uh, Rob Manfred purposely tried to screw up his game, Adam Silver just said, hold my beer. So um, (laughs) we'll talk about that the next time I speak to you. And until then, we're out. Thanks for listening. Bye.